Thank you for downloading this episode of the Mac Report Podcast. This episode is brought to you by our subscribers over at themacreport.com. Their support allows us to bring you our coverage of Merrimack Athletics. If you are a subscriber, I thank you. And if you're interested in becoming a subscriber and gaining access to all of our coverage, head on over to themacreport.com today and sign up. If you don't want to subscribe but still want to support us, please rate and review our podcast over on Apple Podcasts. Once again, thank you to our subscribers for making our coverage possible. And now, on to this week's episode. Merrimack made a little history over the weekend. We didn't talk about it. I didn't do the research until Monday. That's why. But Merrimack made a little history with its sweep over BU last week. For the first time ever, a Merrimack College hockey program swept Boston University and Boston College in the same season. It's never happened before. I mean, let's be honest. There haven't been a whole lot of examples of Merrimack sweeping either of those schools since they joined hockey's. Uh, there have been a couple of times, though, where it's happened. Mainly BC, more than BU. They've, this is the second time they've swept BU in a season series. The other one was back in 2016-17. Both of those games came in January of that year. Uh, and they swept BC this year back in November. They swept the season series there. Uh, and it was the third time they've swept BC in a series. It just never lined up with sweeping BU. So the BU sweep, besides this year, was in 1617. Uh, the two BC uh, BU sweep, the two BC sweeps prior to this year were back all the way in 96, 97 and 94, 95, way before BC has became the BC team that we all, uh, that we've all become accustomed to over the last couple of years. So 94, 95, uh, was the last time in 96, 97 were the two years other than this one where Merrimack swept BC and then 16, 17 was the only other year where they swept BU. So for the first time ever. Two of the the blue blood prominent schools in Hockey East, arguably the two most notable teams in Hockey East. Two of the originals have been around the longest. Both have won national championships. Uh, They swept both those schools in the same year. So a little bit of history for this Merrimack team after last weekend series. And the thing is, is this team, believe it or not, we talked about this last year. I don't believe in jinxes, so I'm just going to talk about it. This team has the potential to make even more history. (laughs) <laughs> at least in the Hockey East era. Uh, Merrimack's, the, the all-time wins, or the all-time win total, the highest win total since they've joined D1 in Hockey East is 25. That was back in 2011. Merrimack at 18 right now. The second most wins ever in the Hockey East era of the program was 19, which was last year. The team that went 19, 15, and 1, that was the second most wins in the D1 Hockey East era for any Merrimack program. That dates back to 1989. So Merrimack one win away from being the second most winning team in program history. They are uh, two wins away from being the second most winning team in program history and only the second team to win 20 games since they've joined Hockey East. The 2011-12 team had a better winning percentage, at least right now. Actually, it's pretty close. Uh, The 11-12 team went 18-12-7. They had seven ties. That year, So Merrimack will likely, unless they don't win another game this year, uh, has the chance to both tie last year's team, which was the second most winning team in, in the history of the program, and, and potentially 
you know, pass it and get to that 20-win mark. It would only be the second time that it's happened for a Merrimack team since the team joined Hockey East 30, what's that, 33 years ago, if I did my math correct. Kind of crazy. Uh, the 10-11 and 11-12 teams had a combined record over those two seasons of 43-22-11. and 11. Merrimack over the last two seasons has a record of 37-27-2. So the, this year and last year's team have combined for a few more losses and less ties and also slightly less wins, although the season isn't over yet. Uh, but again, it whether it's looking at it as an individual season or looking at it over a two-year span, you could argue that this is the second best two-year span ever You know, in, in the Hockey East era of the program uh, and arguably – you can make the argument anyway that this is the second or third best team in the history of the program, at least as far as win totals go. And and, and by the way, uh, Merrimack only has finished above 500 with a winning record in Hockey East play. It's in the D1 Hockey East era. That's only happened three times. And the Warriors are guaranteed to have that happen this year. So this will only be the fourth team in program history, in, in the modern program history, Meaning, since they joined Division One in Hockey East, this will be only the fourth time that the Warriors have finished with a winning record. Merrimack eighteen twelve and one. At worst, they can finish eighteen sixteen and one. At worst, so they're guaranteed a winning record no matter what after the sweep of Boston University last weekend. So a couple of couple of history notes for this Merrimack team. Obviously, the start certainly helped, and it did feel like I don't know I don't know what you think, but it did feel like uh, Merrimack got back on track this past weekend against Boston University. I thought they played really well on Friday. As you'd expect, I think Saturday was a little bit more of a competitive game, but again, they found a way to get the win in overtime, which they were finding ways to do the opposite before the bye. Merrimack was finding ways to lose games in overtime before the bye, and this past weekend they found a way to win a game in overtime. So that is a step forward, I think. And it wasn't perfect. There were still some things you want to see cleaned up, but there was a lot of elements, I think, of in that BU series that looked greatly improved and looked back. It looked to be back to where they were prior to the new year. Uh, I thought the power play looked better. Again, it's never going to be perfect, and and I'm not. I, I've <laughs> I have ranted against power play efficiency enough. I thought overall their power play looked good. Came up with a big goal when you needed one in the third period from Ben Braun to tie the game in overtime. I just used to tie the game in the third period. On Saturday night. So I thought the power play looked good. I thought both goaltenders looked good, which is big. I mean, that's that's really, that has been one of the missing elements as well. It's been a struggle all around. And when I talk about goaltenders and goaltending stats, that really is a, a team number because scoring chances generally dictate how many goals a team allows, right? So when I talk about goaltending numbers and goaltending stats, it's really overall team defense more than anything else. And that looked better this past weekend. They kept BU away from the front of their net almost exclusively on Friday. I mean, BU never really had a sniff of Zach Borgil's crease on Friday night. BU did a better job of getting guys to the net on Saturday, but again, I thought Merrimack did a, a decent job of keeping them to the outside and not allowing uh, not allowing a lot of grade-A chances at 5-on-5, five five, which is really important. So that element of the game looked like it was back. They weren't turning pucks over in the D zone with the regularity that they were prior to the bye week, which is really, I mean, 
when we talk about goaltending and defensive numbers, that's one of the biggest issues. You can't turn the puck over in your own end, uh, and Merrimack could become just a turnover machine in their own end, especially in the early part of January. It was just like, what is going on here? It was happening four or five times a game, and, and those pucks were ending up at the back of the net more often than not. Uh, it even happened a couple of times against UNH in that game up at the Whittemore Center a few weeks ago. So that all looked like it had been cleaned up. And, and most importantly, I think most importantly, they just looked like they had their swagger back. They did. They looked like they had their swagger back. They looked like they had an attitude back within their bench, within their locker room that had been missing for the last couple of weeks. I mean, it is easy to end up this way. But I think Merrimack looked like a team going into the bye week. You you could kind of see it on their faces, especially I go back to the main game where they gave up the two goals on the power play, uh, on the one power play, two shorthanded goals. They gave up on the one power play against Maine. You had guys looking at each other like, what the hell do we have to do? Like, again, what do we have to do here to win a game? And it's really hard to stop that negative momentum from from rolling downhill when it gets going. And you could kind of see it. You know, coaches talk about team, uh, players gripping the stick too tight or players trying to do it all themselves, trying to trying to do too much. And I think all that existed. And it's you end up in this rut of, like, no matter what we do, it's not going right. What do we have to do? you got to be kidding me. And I, and I you could see that. It was, it was apparent. But not last week. They kind of came out from the jump last week and I thought played like a team that said, nope. We're back. We're taking control of this thing again. It's on us. Let's go. And you know what? The, the line that kind of set the tone, I think, for that mentality was the fourth line, if you want to even call them that, because I think they had, what, four goals last weekend? Three goals last weekend? <laughs> I think four. Jordan Seifert, Mick Mesner, and Ryan Liebold. Those were the guys. They set the tone. I think they set the tone on Friday night. I thought that it carried over into Saturday. And I think, you know, I think you'll see them start every game the rest of the year if it means they're going to set that type of tone for in every game from here on out. They were, I mean, BU, you could tell on Saturday, BU was trying to keep guys away from that line. They were trying to keep their top players away from the Lee Bolden line because they didn't want him playing against them. Which is, you know, Scott Barr talked about that. We'll talk to him in a few minutes, but that, that's a compliment right there is it not you know they were line matching to avoid you that's how well that line was playing and the 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 reason why i have so much fun watching that line play is it's just all effort it's all effort that's not to diminish their skill it's there believe me i think i tweeted about uh, the, the stretch pass that ryan leibold had on one of those goals against BU on Friday night where he threaded the puck through like two defender sticks who was right on top of him as he was taking the puck out of the D zone and found someone. I think it was Seifert stretching the ice wide at the opposite end. Really, 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 really nice pass. And him right on the stick, right on the tape. But it's it's just effort. They just go out there and outwork you. Not only do they outwork you, but they're probably going to punch you in the mouth along the way. Just to rub it in a little bit. We're going to outwork you, and we're going to punch you in the nose. How'd that feel? (laughs) But it's fun to watch, and it set the tone. And I don't think, I mean, you can't can't take those, not only can you not take those guys out of the lineup, you got to play all those guys together. You can't even, you you don't want to split that line apart. They've been fantastic. 
and they're they've kind of become the heart and soul line. They kind of become the, the they dictate the way the rest of the team plays. They play a way that I think Merrimack wants to play. That that's you know if Merrimack had an identity line, it, that's it right there. It's those three guys. So not only do you have the goaltenders cooking again, not only is the power play back on track, not only does it just seem like their their general attitude is back on track. They, you know they're feeling good again, which is good. But you got this this Liebold line cooking in a way that I don't think anybody really expected. And I'll be honest with you, neither did I. I mean, come on. If anybody said to me back a month ago, hey, you know they're going to put Ryan Liebold, Jordan Seifert, and Mick Messner together, uh, wh- what do you think? I would say, you know, it sounds like a good defensive line. You know, I'm sure they'll be responsible defensively. I'm sure they're not going to make a lot of mistakes. I'm sure they're going to play hard. If you told me, oh, yeah, uh, you're going to have a weekend against BU – End of February, and uh, that line's going to account for four goals. <laughs> I w- wouldn't have seen that coming. <laughs> wouldn't have seen that coming. Uh, but it just goes to show you how well they've played. They've played well going dating back to the Vermont series, really. I thought they've played well. They found something there. They found something there. And it's good. It's what you need, especially this time of year. And I don't think it's any mistake, too, that – what what class are those guys in? They're all grad students. Hmm. Interesting, right? They're all grad students. Who who scored the game tying goal and the game winning goal on Saturday? Benny Brar, senior. Not to diminish anybody else, but this time of year, especially when you get into playoffs. We look at numbers. I'm going to fill out a bracket for the hockey's tournament and for the NCAA tournament. We all do. Anybody in the media kind of looks ahead and tries to make picks in these series. It's why I don't just look at numbers. One of the things I look at and I look at frequently is how many seniors does this team have? How many grad? And in this in this day and age with the COVID year, how many grad students does this team have? Because I think it matters. I think at this time of year it matters, and I think it matters a lot. And I think it matters all the time, but I think it especially matters now. Now that you're in playoff mode, you're in nitty-gritty mode, and these are the guys, especially the grad students, because the seniors could come back and use their fifth year, but especially the grad students where it's like, look, this might be it. You might be looking at – well, you know, it might be. You are looking at your last handful of college hockey games here. Some guys are going to go on and play pro. Some guys might not. So come take my sticks. Come take my stick away from me. You know, and that's why I think those types of players are the ones that that generally speaking, there are exceptions, obviously, but I think those types of players, it's there's a reason why they come up big at this time of year. And I think it's just that. I think it's just that. I think it's that that I might be done here. You're gonna have to come take my stick away. You know, a guy like Jimmy Lambert on Michigan last year. He he was so good in the in the NCAA tournament in that run to the Frozen Four for Michigan. He was so good. And, you know, he was not a big scorer over the course of his career. And he wasn't even really a big scorer last year. He had 14 points last year. But, but, he's a hard-nosed guy. He was a senior. That was a young team, young Michigan team, a lot of skill, but it was real young. And Jimmy Lambert basically was like, you want the, you want to end my season? Come take it. you got to come earn it. And Merrimack's had a lot of those guys. With all those grad transfers, they've got a lot of them. They've got a lot of them. 
And I think that's what uh, that, that's what could keep this team dangerous throughout not only the rest of the regular season, but going into the playoffs. That's what you're playing for. For the grad transfers that wanted to come to a hockey school and a hockey school that was competitive last year, this is why you're here. I mean, you're, you're here to try to try to do something in the playoffs. And now we're at that time. So I don't think that there's – I don't think it's a mistake. I don't think it's a coincidence that last weekend – you know, and, and Matt Capone had a big goal both nights, scoring the first goal of the game. Uh, Alex Jeffries I thought played fantastic last weekend. But there's no mistake that the ones that we're talking about the most are that grad transfer in line and Ben Brock because this is kind of their time. It's a time of year where this is where you lean on those types of guys. And I, it's not that's not just the Merrimack thing. That, that's an everybody thing. <laughs> that's an everybody thing. I think every team in the country is trying to lean on on those types of guys right now at this time of year. And looking at UMass Lowell this weekend, I mean, they're in a similar spot. You look at their roster, and they got Carl Berglund, who's a senior. John McDonald, who's a grad student. Zach Kaiser is a senior. Brian Chambers is a senior. They're real senior heavy at the top of their roster. You know, and it's not, they're not as skilled as Merrimack, I don't think. You know, they're averaging under three goals a game. They're, they're averaging, honestly, not much above two goals a game. They're not as skilled as this Merrimack team. But they work. They work hard. They're very good defensively. I mean, this this Lowell team is kind of a prototypical Norm uh, Bazin UMass Lowell team. Their goaltender is real good. They defend like absolute crazy, and they win games because of it. They win a lot of games two to one and three to two, but they win a lot of games. They win a lot of games. They've played seven games in a row. This tells you how competitive this Lowell team is, and just kind of how the game takes shape against UMass Lowell, no matter what side you come out on. They've played seven games in a row that have been decided by one goal. I mean, and, and this is an era where I mean, you can pull the goalie. You know, you can pull the goalie and end up with a two-goal game. Nope, seven games in a row that have been decided by one goal. Four of them have gone to overtime. Four have gone to overtime. It's playoff hockey. That's what we're at now. Three games left in the regular season. For the most part, the playoffs are here. And Merrimack and Lowell are going to be in playoff mode this weekend because this series means a lot. Let's talk about the standings before we get to Scott Bork. Merrimack in third place, 41 points. They're one point behind Boston University. It was 42. They're two points behind Northeastern at 43. Northeastern leads the league. Merrimack, though, has uh, does not have a game in hand. They actually lose a game to Northeastern and BU. They both have a game in hand on Merrimack. Merrimack's played 21 games. Those two teams have played 20. Merrimack in third place again, 41 points. They're five points ahead of Lowell. Lowell's in fourth with 36 points. They also have a game in hand. So what does that mean? Well, it means this weekend is going to determine a lot about potential home ice. Merrimack has to finish ahead of of either Lowell or UConn for home ice. Either Lowell or UConn. And the way that it works, they're guaranteed home ice in the quarterfinals, uh, essentially with a win this weekend. One win this weekend, they'll be at 44 points, and UConn will be at, even if UConn wins, they'd be at uh, 38 points. Merrimack would be at 44. So that would be a six. Well, I guess UConn could actually still catch them. i, I got to run these scenarios a little more closely. But uh, Oh, no, I'm sorry. With a win, 
with a win this weekend, they would lock up home ice because UMass Lowell would not be able to catch them. Forget about UConn. UMass Lowell will not be able to catch Merrimack if Merrimack wins one game this weekend. Let's say Merrimack wins tomorrow. Merrimack wins tomorrow. The Warriors end up at 44 points. UMass Lowell's at 36 points. That means they'd be eight points ahead of of UMass Lowell. UMass Lowell at that point would only have three games left. That's nine points. So uh, I think they need four. I I wrote this earlier. You think I could just read what I wrote, right? (laughs) Trying to do this off memory. Uh, Four points should be enough for Merrimack to secure home ice this weekend. Four points, not just one. <laughs> Merrimack is already, I'll, I'll just read it word for word here. How about that? Merrimack has already clinched a first round bye in the Hockey's tournament and cannot finish any lower than fifth. So they've already clinched a bye. They can't finish lower than fifth, but the fifth place team has to go to the fourth place team in the, in the quarterfinals. The Warriors are, Warriors are currently in third place and have a 96% chance of finishing in the top four, which would guarantee a first round bye. Merrimack is most likely to finish in third place according to the odds. The current odds for each seed is as follows. First, 4%. Second, 21%. Third, 52%. Fourth, 18%. And fifth, 4%. Determining what Merrimack needs this weekend is a little more simple because you can simply look at the standings. This week, Merrimack benefits most from beating Lowell and having UConn, BU, and Northeastern all lose. Merrimack can finish anywhere from first to fifth. They're most likely to finish third or fourth. Uh, which would mean they would have the first round by, of course. So looking at it a little more closely, where did my notes go here? This is exciting, isn't it, going over my notes? Uh, (laughs) I've got notes here somewhere. I have to find them. But essentially, if Merrimack gets four points this weekend, they would have 45 points and Lowell would have Lowell would have 38 points. Which would mean Merrimack is seven points up on Lowell with just six points available for Lowell to earn. So that, I think, is, is what ultimately decides things. In order to finish ahead of Lowell, they need at least four points this weekend. At least. And that they could get less and still finish ahead of Lowell based upon what happens next weekend. But in order to lock up finishing ahead of Lowell this weekend, Merrimack needs four points. When you look at UConn, it becomes a little bit easier. Merrimack is six points up on UConn. UConn has nine points available to them. So the combination of either three points earned by Merrimack or three points lost by UConn will likely be enough for Merrimack to end up with home ice. Gets a little confusing. I'm going to write about this tomorrow. <laughs> I'm going to write about it in my, in my 10 things to know about the series. So I'll confirm all this before I write tonight. But uh, it's been a long day. <laughs> it's been a long day, and no one told me there was going to be math. So let's uh, let's be done with the math and instead get right to the head coach of the Merrimack Warriors, Scott Bork, ahead of this weekend's series against UMass Lowell. Merrimack takes on UMass Lowell this weekend. We're here with uh, Scott Bork, the head coach of the Merrimack men's hockey team. Merrimack on the road Friday night at home Saturday night. It's been a flip from what it's been a lot of times this year, usually starting those series at home on Friday and then traveling on Saturday. But, Coach, uh, how's the week been uh, coming off the, the big series against BU? And, obviously, here's another big series against Lowell. I know. It's, it's been a good week. Um, you know, I think the I think the guys are pretty um, – 
dialed into the fact that we're kind of already in playoff hockey. And, you know, what happens this weekend will go a long way towards how difficult our hill is to climb in the future. And, um, you know, not that you can't climb it when it's difficult, but obviously if you can take care of business now, it'd be a lot, a lot better. And, uh, we're also well aware of the challenges ahead. So, um, no, it's a good week and I think we're in a good mind frame. Yeah. BU, obviously let's talk about that series first. Uh, I thought I thought a statement game on Friday, just especially with the way the last couple of weeks had gone, to come out and play the way you played on Friday night, and then on Saturday a little bit more of a back and forth where uh, you had the two nothing lead, they end up going ahead three to two on a last second goal at the end of the second period, and I'm not going to lie, part of me was like, you know, given how the, given how the last couple of weeks have gone, you know, part of my head was going, oh, this is this might not be good. I've seen this script play out a couple of times here over the last couple of weeks, but. You were able to not only survive it, come back, tie the game, and then win the game in overtime. Uh, how important was the win on sa- uh, the, the overtime win on Saturday? Not just the points, but also uh, the way that you guys won that game, where there was some adversity in the middle of the game, things weren't going your way there in the second period, the same way that it, it had at times against, especially you know, like UNH and Maine, but able to push through it, get past it, and then still get the win uh, at the other end. Well, whenever you can come, you know, overcome some of the stuff we went through in the second period, uh, of our own volition, by the way, not uh, not anyone else's fault but our own. But when when you can do that, you know, it always builds confidence and it always tastes a little bit better. And I thought uh, after that second period, you know, the penalties and the lack of discipline we showed got a little bit emotional. Um, you know, that was one thing. But giving up that late goal when all we had to do was finish the play. Um, and we didn't, and they, they capitalized on it to go up 3 2. You know, really, you know, really disheartening. And uh, we, are, we knew all, already had two of our better players out of the lineup for the rest of the game. And um, you know, going down 3 2 was not advantageous to being successful. But I, I thought that the team really uh, rallied from that point forward and, and played one of our best periods, certainly of that game, if not the entire weekend in the third period. Yeah, and, and got on the board with a power play goal, too, to tie the game up. A, a unit that's had some ups and downs, but overall, I, I think has still played pretty well. Uh, you know, not every power play is going to look fantastic, but I think on the whole, really for most of the season, that unit's look pretty good, even if, if the, the results haven't always been there. And I think we talked about it last week. You, you guys, over the last month or so, have had like three or four goals that have come within 15 seconds of a power play expiring, uh, which you know might as well count as power play goals. But uh, good to see that unit get rewarded and, and get that game time goal on Saturday. Really, you know what, and, and the best thing about it, not that, you know, it really matters who scores it, but, you know, the guy who's been leading us through a lot of challenging situations, Benny Brar, you know, finds himself in the crease and, you know, finds a way to, you know, put the puck in the net, uh, fighting through some traffic to do it. So, um, no, that, that, I agree with you. Like, you know, everybody looks at the power play numbers and they question this or that. And I'm like, you know, I'm comfortable with the power play gets momentum for our team. And that's playing in the other team's zone gaining field position, if you will, uh, and putting yourself in a real good spot. I think our power play has done that, and that's why we've scored at the end of them recently. Um, and so that's, that's fine, you know, as long as you don't lose momentum. But I, I think that uh, getting that kind of a goal on the power play, you know, that added to obviously taking some of the stress off and letting us play the rest of the game kind of, you know, kind of clear and clear-minded and free and clear, and I thought we played well. Uh, what did you see from Matt Capone over the weekend? I thought it was a big weekend for him uh, with a couple of goals, one on Friday and one on Saturday. Because if you look back, I mean, it was it, 
He had kind of gone a little quiet there in January, hadn't scored a goal in 2023. His last goal was New Year's Eve against Providence uh, until the goal on Friday at BU. But this felt like a big breakout weekend for him, uh, and, and he kind of looked like the player he was in the first half of the year. And it's a long season, you know, and he's still he's a sophomore, but he's a young sophomore at 19 years old. But it did look like he... He had a he had a breakthrough weekend and, and maybe is going to get back to the the type of production he was he had in the first half of the year. Well, clearly that's an important part of our success is that Maddie does, um, and I think over the last few weeks, not just this past weekend, over the last few weeks, he had been playing the game the right way and hadn't gotten rewarded, and that's just how it goes. Um, but to have him get, I think he got the first goal in both games. Yeah, both on just real good plays, putting himself in the right area without the puck. I mean, Maddie can walk around anyone and go in and score a goal, but that doesn't happen very often in the game. So if you score a goal because you put yourself in the right area of the rink to get the puck and finish it, that, that's almost a more uh, important goal to score because it's just a habit that you're building and, you, and, you, and shows you're playing the game the right way. And I think Maddie was along those lines a couple of weeks ago and now getting rewarded, I think we'll just you know, hopefully take that to another level as well. Yeah, and another guy that I feel like we we should talk about more, uh, and we talk about him a lot, but we should talk about more because uh, he just continues to pile up points. He's he's on pace for uh, potentially you know one of the more one of the best offensive seasons of ever, of any Merrimack forward in the the hockey East era. But Alex Jeffries now has points in six straight games, multi point games in three of those. He's got 37 points this year. There's still, uh, you know, three games left in the regular season and then some playoff games to go. You know, he looks like he could eclipse 40. If he does, he'd be the first guy to do that in a Merrimack uniform since Stefan DaCosta. So uh, what can you say about just what he's brought to the table? Because it also seems like he's another one that's been able to, to make plays at big times. I can think of, you know, one of the goals he had at Vermont. Uh, we had two in that series, but one in particular, I think, in the Friday game was huge. Uh, it just it seems like when a big play has to be made, more often than not, he's the one making it. No doubt. And he, he you know, Alex, is, he benefits a lot because he's playing with two really good line mates, and Audeville and, and Maddie. Um, but Alex is a very smart player, and, and he puts himself in good areas of the rink that I think give him the puck in the right areas of the rink. I mean, he can create you know, out of a phone booth, really. But at the end of the day, that's not sustainable. And that in the, in the past, that's where his offense came from, kind of big plays that he'd make. Now he's just making a lot of the right plays over and over and backing them up against each other. And he's, and he's producing points because of it. Um, and I think that's, that's a real step in any offensive player's game when, when they start doing things because of their habits, not because of their skill. That, that takes their game to a different level. And I feel like that's what's happened with Alex as well as Maddie. And, and that's a really good sign for us. And, you know, Benny Brown, again, I'm not, I'm only bringing his name up because he got that tying goal and got the winner. But that's how Benny's gotten his points since he's been here. He just puts himself in the right place on the rank. Um, and to see other guys doing that with the kind of explosive skill they have, that's pretty exciting for their future. Yeah. And the thing with Brown's goals, too, again, like that's one where, Given how that second period ended, you know you're you're looking at needing a couple in the third or needing at least one in the third in order to get the game to overtime. And it's I always talk about experience at this time of year and how important I think it is. It's no coincidence to me that it's a senior captain who comes through and gets those two big goals, not only the game time goal, but then the winner in overtime as well, coming over the boards and making a play as time expired in the overtime period. It just it seems like. 
a guy like Ben Brar at this point in the year, late in his senior season, especially if a guy is a captain, uh, this this is these are the types of games this past weekend where you look to a guy like that, and he obviously came through and delivered big time on Saturday. Yeah, I totally agree. And actually, more important, those are the games he's looking for himself. You know, um, he, he he seeks opportunities for that, and he probably doesn't even know it. Doesn't doesn't even think about it. But his game races in those situations. It just does. And, you know, what it does for our team is, you know, immeasurable. We talked about it after that UMass overtime win we had when he recognized he was going against the forward and, and took him wide. Mm. You know, I just think he, he plays the game so much with his hockey sense that, um, you know, he's bound to be successful. But he's also a great player to watch and, and gain some things from because he's a very, very smart player that's helped make his game successful. Yeah, is, is that is that hockey sense? Has that been the biggest thing that's helped him? Because you see, I feel like most of the time when a guy's a four-year player, you see a, a pretty big split, a pretty big difference between his first two years and his last two years. Usually your junior, senior year, you take a, a pretty big step offensively. Maybe you're in a different role. But but his numbers are, are you know staggering. He had 18 points through his first two seasons, and one of those was the COVID year, so he only had 47 games. But 18 points in his first 47 games, and now in his last two years, he's had 43 points in 66 games. So you go from 18 points in two years to, to 43 points over his last two years. Uh, it's it's a it's a considerable jump. Uh, is is the hockey sense one of the things that plays a big role in that? And, and what else, I guess, do you see uh, that he has elevated in his game from his freshman and sophomore year to, to the player he's been for you the last two years? Well, honestly, his first two years, uh, he was playing with our best players. Uh, but our best players weren't the same players that, that we have today. Um, and I don't mean that to diminish anyone because those are the guys we got in the back of and carried us to a opportunity to be successful as a team um but he didn't have um comp- he didn't have the offensive complementary players around him like he does now um and when, when he's with the right players you know he can produce and you know last year he played a lot with uh alex jeffries and philip Forsmark. you know they were in and out together then uh this year he's been with obviously philip and will calvary and they've de- developed some really good chemistry um I just think in his case, it's we've caught up to his hockey sense a little bit, uh, and I know that sounds funny to say, but I think our team has, and and that's helped to make him more productive as he's continued to grow his grow his own game. Uh, and looking ahead, Lowell this weekend, uh, we talked a little bit about it before we started recording. Probably going to be a different type of series than the BU series, but still a tough one. I mean, this is a Lowell team that's right behind you guys in the standings. This weekend will determine a lot, I think, potentially, between who finishes third and maybe who finishes fourth, uh, just based on the standings and the fact that there's six points up for grabs this weekend. Uh, they've, I know they haven't had a ton of success lately. I, I don't think they've won a game in regulation over their last four, but... If you look, oh no, I'm sorry, they just beat Providence uh, last weekend. Prior to that, they had four games in a row with a couple of shootout wins and then a loss to UNH and a loss to Providence. But over their last seven, I was looking at this today, their last seven games, all seven of their last seven games have been one goal games. Either that or tied and went to a shootout. So this is a team, a Lowell team, that just seems to play a lot of close games, uh, and a lot of them have a very similar score. You know, it's usually not more than two to one or three to two. Uh, what do you see from Lowell, and, and what do you expect this weekend to look like? Well, number one, they're they're as well coached team as there is in the league. 
I mean, I think there's a lot of great coaches in our league, but Norm does a great job with that group. Um, and they compete at an extremely high level. Uh, I was really impressed with them on film. Uh, I just thought that they, I think they're playing the best hockey at the right time of year. Um, their structure is always good, but their effort in that structure is really high end right now. Uh, I expect it to be a very, very difficult series. Both And both games could easily be one goal games. Uh, both teams have played a lot of those kind of games. So I think in both cases we'll be comfortable if that's the case. Um, but, you know, we, we have to you know get to their net and keep them away from our net. I mean, at the end of the day, that's exactly what it boils down to. Um, you know, their resiliency in, in our end as far as putting themselves in front of our net and getting second chances uh, versus ours in their end. Um, it's going to be a pretty simple game. It's not going to be – no one's going to be writing a book about the beauty of this weekend. Uh, but the competitive level is going to be stress, excessively high. Uh, and I'm excited. I think it's a step for our team. Um, and, and you know what? Uh, we know we're playing a great team. We know that, that they have uh, a big, heavy team, an older team, you know, similar to ourselves. And we're just going to have to be willing to stay in that for 60 minutes. And if we do that, I think we could find success on the other side of it. Uh, if we don't do it, I'm certain we won't find success. So it's it's a great uh, preparation to going into, uh, you know, one more game after in the playoff games because that's how every playoff game is going to be. So uh, Lowell plays playoff hockey in November. So we're going to be playing them now, and they've been playing this kind of hockey since November. We have to make sure we're ready to match that and hopefully overcome that. Uh, and then, you know, we talked a lot about some of the, the other guys, Alex Jeffries, Ben Brar, Macaponi. Obviously, they've been big players for you guys. Uh, a line that's been together for a while, had a lot of success, uh, even going into the bye week, and then had a lot of success this past weekend, uh, was that Ryan Liebold, Nick Mesner, Jordan Seifert line. Uh, they just continue to get it done. I know we talked about them on Friday night. I wrote something about them Friday night in the, in the Eagle Tribune. Uh, but it seems like those guys continually are getting it done, and they're a line that, you know, I think would suit playing Lowell probably fairly well. They kind of play that, that style. You know, it's such, a, it's such an important line to us. Um, all three guys are, are heavy players. They play with pace. They play physical. Um, and, you know, it's funny because someone asked me a question about their matchup against Lowell and, and, and how they match up against BU and they play against the first line against BU a lot. Um, and I just said, you know, it's not – you know, don't look at their height. You know, they're, they're – their heart in each of those guys is so big. Um, I'd play them against anyone. And I think that, um, you know, Jordan and Ryan and, and Mick are unbelievable team guys to do what they do for our team without getting a lot of love. But they, they, they're they a huge reason for our success last weekend. Obviously, Friday night they had three points. Um, they played against the top line most of that night. Uh, BU actually tried to get that line away from them on Saturday, which is a huge compliment. Uh, I tried to get them back against them as much as I could, um, which I hope is also a huge compliment to them. But um, a really important group for us, not only uh, on the rank, but also in the room. All right, Merrimack and Lowell this weekend. If you can't make it to Songus Arena tomorrow, the game is on Nesson, uh, and then the series will shift to Lawler on Saturday in front of what I'm sure will be another jam-packed house. It's been a, a few weeks in a row of those of sellout games at Lawler. So if you don't have tickets, make sure you get them soon. Uh, Coach, thanks for the time. Good luck this weekend. Thanks, Mike. I really appreciate it. Have a great weekend.
All right, thanks to Merrimack head coach Scott Borick for joining us. Thanks to you for downloading and listening to the show. Uh, remember, you can go over to themacreport.com and sign up to be a subscriber today, and you'll have access to all of our coverage this weekend and beyond. Merrimack and Lumas Lowell, a big hockey series this weekend. Uh, Merrimack men's basketball also has a big series as well, uh, playing Central Connecticut on Thursday night, and then uh, LIU on Saturday with a chance to finish in first place in the NEC. And quickly, before we go, shout-out to the Merrimack women's hockey team. They beat Boston University in the first round of the hockey's playoffs on uh, Wednesday night, so Merrimack moves on. They'll face Northeastern, the top seed, in the playoffs on Saturday afternoon, so you keep an eye on that as well. Thanks again for listening to the show. Thanks to Scott Bork for joining us. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the games, and we'll talk to you next week here on the Mac Report Podcast. So long. 